I'm a massive fan of cult films, and I know a lot of you listening feel the same way. Now, whether it's the classics, if we go back in time, I love movies like They Call Her One-Eye, Last House on the Left, or Street Fighter with Sonny Chiba. And what I always loved about these films is that they ran the risk of being cheesy, but they were often loaded with incredibly visceral sequences. Like if you watch uh, They Call Her One-Eye, and for those of you who don't know this film, this was a movie made, I think it was like 1975. I'm gonna screw up the date, but heavily influenced Tarantino. Uh, it was heavily influenced by a lot of Sam Peckinpah stuff at that time, so they were doing a lot of really super slow motion violence, sequence, violence sequences. But the other stuff that was interesting is that they actually brought in real cadavers for some, for some of the inserts. So like when an eyeball gets cut, for instance, they supposedly cut a real eyeball on a dead body for that movie. Uh, so the movie just feels strange, feels kind of icky and fun. Uh, and it's one of my favorites. And like uh, Last House on the Left, which is loaded with some pretty brutal, intense violence. Uh, once again, another movie that kind of feels gross, but uh, sticks vividly in my memory. Uh, very similar to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the original. Uh, and then Street Fighter with Sonny Chiba. That movie not only had such a cool lead character with such great bravado and really cool action sequences, but it also did some really innovative stuff with their inserts. They actually did some what seemed like x-ray vision stuff when he punched a guy on the top of his head and you see his spine split. The stuff that they would steal later on to use in video games like Mortal Kombat. Right? So cult films, even if they feel schlocky when you first see them, they end up becoming a part of cinema's lexicon. It becomes a lot of those techniques that we see done in Sam Raimi's original Evil Dead are now used on television shows on like CBS and ABC. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of strange to say. And fast forward, because cult films don't go anywhere, right? Cult films continue to exist. There's always a rabid audience for them. Uh, you got to love the independent cinemas that love to do midnight screenings of these movies. Uh, and look, over the past, what, 10 years, 15 years, there have been some amazing cult films. Uh, you've heard me talk about my love for Panos Cosmatos. And you look at uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, the techniques that he was doing in that movie were so strange and so guttural, whether it's like him tweaking the audio for the lead character's microphone so that it almost hurt to listen to him, uh, made him even more creepy than he should have been on screen. Or if you look at Mandy, right? And I've done full episodes on Mandy on this show, uh, talking about an amazing cult film done by an amazing director and helmed by who seems to be the king of cult cinema right now, uh, Mr. Nicolas Cage, right? And we know we've seen it. We've seen Mandy. Uh, if you've seen Color From Out of Space, he was also amazing in that. And now adding, I'm just very excited about it, adding to what they have now dubbed the Rage Cage canon, he has a new film coming out, which is going to be fucking crazy. And I cannot wait to see it. It's Willy's Wonderland. Now, have you guys seen the trailer for this? It looks like, the setup looks pretty simple. It looks like Nick Cage is getting locked, locked into one of those uh, restaurants, like a Chuck E. Cheese. Um, what was the, Gina, what was the name of the place that we used to like to get steaks at with the animatronic animals? Bugaboo Creek, yeah, it's like a Bugaboo Creek. Uh, and so it looks like he's locked into this place with some murderous animals. And if you've seen the trailer, 
Uh, we'll play it after this on the show so you can hear it at least. But if you've seen the trailer, uh, looks like it is the perfect opportunity for Nicolas Cage to do what Nicolas Cage does best. Uh, very excited about this movie. It's kind of a bum out that uh, I get to watch it at home uh, because of COVID, you know, whatever. But it is out. It is on uh, streaming services now. So you guys can download it and watch it in all its glory. Uh, but I'll tell you this, I am going to go see it in the cinema once we get out of COVID because this is one of those movies that you want to be in that midnight screaming audience for. I cannot wait. And full transparency, I haven't seen the film yet. The guys sent me a link and we had some tactical difficulties so I couldn't get to see it before the show, but I am definitely watching it right after we do this episode. And you know what? It's going to make for a better episode because I'm going to go into it without getting spoilers. So we're not going to be doing any spoilers on this show. We're not going to be telling you exactly what happened in this movie. And I actually want to dig deep uh, into uh, this director who I had never heard of before. And I'm very excited uh, to sit down and talk to him, Mr. Kevin Lewis, who's going to be on the show today. He is our guest. And uh, I've been doing a little research on him before we do the interview process. And it looks like he studied under two of the greats. Looks like he studied under John McTiernan and Rennie Harlan. Now, John McTiernan, for anybody that is a cult movie, action movie, 80s, 90s movie fan, they know John McTiernan as being Jesus <laughs> for this stuff. Because let's talk about the movies that, that he's made, right? How about a shitty little classic that no one's ever heard of called Die Hard, right? He made Die Hard. Uh, who did Die Hard 2? Oh, I don't know. Rennie Harlan did Die Hard 2? Rennie Harlan also did Cliffhanger, right? Or... Uh, one of my favorite Rennie Harlan movies was uh, Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis and Samuel Jackson, right? And then let's continue on the Die Hard franchise to Die Hard 3, which in my opinion is one of the best, if not the best, in that series, uh, starring obviously Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson again, and that was then directed by John McTiernan, returning to the franchise to just essentially flip his dick out on the table and go, guys, look, I do it better than anybody else. <laughs> I am so excited to talk to him about these guys. Hopefully we can get into uh, how much he learned from them because it is like going to the ultimate action film school working for these guys. So we'll see. I don't know. I haven't talked to him yet. He may just be like, that's bullshit. It was written on the internet. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully we get into it. Uh, very excited about this episode. I'm going to dig into... Uh, how this film was made, how it started, how he got attached to it. It looks like he didn't write it. It looks like it was written by a writer named uh, Geo Parsons. And uh, according to IMDb, it looks like it's his first writing credit. So I'm curious to see how this film came to be and at what point does Cage get involved. And because from my experience trying to get movies happening, if you get Nick Cage involved in a movie, then you can suddenly get a green light on a film about a guy that kicks the shit out of animatronic animals at a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> so hopefully we can dig into it and find out how something like this happens, how it all comes together. Uh, like I said, there's going to be no spoilers because I don't want to fucking spoil it because I haven't seen it yet. Uh, so I'm right there with you guys. Hopefully I ask all the questions that you have in mind. Um, and let, let's just get into it. Like, But before we do, I just want to thank everybody, as always, for following me on Instagram and for following 
uh, the podcast on Instagram. So you can either follow Mike Petchy on Instagram or follow In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. If you notice this week, I just did a post for super fans. Now, I don't know if all of you guys listening have seen it or not, but I'm starting a new thing. Our podcast, I know who you are, our podcast has super fans. And I'm talking about the listeners that are consistently commenting on my images, the listeners that are involved in every contest, the listeners that are writing uh, suggestions and giving feedback on shows. You guys know who you are. You guys were the first ones to list yourselves as super fans under my post. Now, for those of you who don't follow me on Instagram or for some uncanny reason, the fucking algorithm has kept my shit from you, then you should head on over to Mike Petchy and check it out because you don't want to not be on this list if you love this show. Now, all you have to do is look for my post that says, are you a super fan? And if you are a super fan, leave a comment underneath this image saying, I'm a super fan. How many times can I say super fan in one sentence? Pretty good, right? Um, If you do so, well, what do we get? We expect to get things. I mean, we did all the hard work of just typing under an image, Michael, so give us things. Okay. All right. So what do you get from this? Everybody that lists themselves as a super fan underneath that image will automatically, at the end, after I tally everything up, will automatically get access to the link to watch the Who's There short. Okay? Straight up. You will be able to watch Who's There. You'll be one of the few who have seen it. So when you hear me reference it on the show, and as you hear me reference it as we continue in the future on the show, I don't know if that means anything. Anyway, uh, then you'll be in the club with this, right? Now, as a super fan, you're going to have some responsibilities. I may be writing to you on occasion saying, hey, would you check out this episode early? Or, hey, I'm doing this thing. Would you like to look at it? I'd like to get some feedback. Or, hey, maybe we should all rally together and write to Arnold Schwarzenegger and tell him to be on this show. Okay? So, if you guys want to sign up to be a super fan, remember, it comes with a bit of responsibility. It comes with a bit of prestige, right? As they say. And I keep track of my fans. I've done this before. I think I mentioned it on another show years ago. I had a fan club for the Grindhouse stuff. I still have all those emails. Some of them work, some of them don't. Some of them are at like at Yahoo accounts. <laughs> but most of them still work. And if I do things, then you guys get access early. It's important to me. You know, I believe in supporting the originals, the people that were here first, before the first feature comes out and everybody goes, wow, overnight success, this guy comes out of nowhere and then I get a big fucking head and I don't want to talk to you guys anymore. I'll at least still be talking to the super fans. (laughs) All right, so take that as serious as that is. Um, But other than that, uh, things have been going good. We've got a bunch of really great podcasts on the way. I've actually got a sizable queue. I've actually got like five or six episodes that are priorly recorded to this one, but I wanted to get this one out this week because the movie just came out. I want to jump on it. Um, so we got a bunch of great stuff in the can. Great filmmakers, really cool guests. I'm talking to a lot of really fascinating people, lining up a lot of stuff. I've been driving my roommates crazy because I have been recording podcasts every day of the week. And I have to take over a big portion of the house and they've been really wonderful allowing me to do so. But this is for you. This is all for you, motherfuckers. So thank you so much for supporting the show. I'm excited about today's episode. 
it will probably well, at some point on our website we'll probably have a cult episode uh collection and this will be a top one on that list i'm telling you so strap yourselves in you know the deal grab those noise canceling headphones prepare yourself maybe this is the podcast to listen to before we watch willie's wonderland because i'm gonna watch it tonight i'm gonna get to see it tonight so you guys are going to be watching it. I, I'd love to say watching it with me, but I'm pre-recording this a couple days early, so I'm going to see it before you do, so I don't know what to tell you. Other than that, grab your noise-canceling headphones, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. safe. Put your balls on, Evan. We're going to Willie's. He's not trapped in here with them. We're trapped in here with him. It's your birthday and we want you to It's your birthday so let's It's birthday time. I enjoy a man a few words. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, thank you for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, as we were just briefly talking about off air, I'm super excited for Willy's Wonderland. I'm a huge cult movie nerd. I make cult movies. Like I'm a big fan Great. of all the Nicolas Cage stuff. And I remember seeing this trailer, and I feel like it sort of came out of nowhere for me. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I can't wait to talk to you about like how this this film came about, how you got attached to this movie. I really want to get into mm -hmm. all the nitty gritty, uh, but I just wanted cool. to let you know. Initially, uh, you probably have a new fan. I can't wait to see the movie. Well, we're brothers, man, because I like the same stuff you do. So, and I made this movie for people like you and me. So <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, man. Fuck yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, how'd you? Now, I was doing a little bit of research behind the scenes, yep. and um, I saw that, and correct, maybe this is right, maybe this is wrong. I saw that you studied yeah. under John McTiernan and Rennie Harlan. Is that correct? Yeah. I uh, So I went to USC film school, and I interned uh, with John McTiernan and his wife, uh, and Donna Dubrow, uh -huh. and uh, I also interned for Rennie Harlan. Uh, I, I interned for... McTiernan on Last Action Hero and Rennie Harlan on Cutthroat Island. So I mean, it was bad luck, but uh, learned a lot. Yeah, man. You know, well, talk, talk I, also, talk. I also interned for uh, Linda Opst. Oh, cool. Who produced Fisher King and she was doing the Barbara Streisand film, Prince of Tides. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, talk about like, uh, you know, working for two of like the biggest 90s late 80s 90s action directors out there at that point like oh man it was it you know that was a magical time man i mean you know rennie harlan was in the carloco building on sunset mm -hmm. and uh and what's funny is uh roland emmerich was below him and roland emmerich they were just finishing stargate <laughs> and and they were like the new kids on the block, uh, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin. Yeah. And, uh, 
it was just a magical time. You know, I was when scripts came out on a Friday and then, you, you know, everybody would read them and then Monday there'd be a big spec sale, hopefully, you know, or not. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Lori Hughes was uh, had a development with Rennie Harlan and uh, she was like my mentor. She's amazing. And uh, I learned so much from her own story and plot and writing. And uh, she was such a champion for me. You know, I'm, you know, I'm still going to film school at USC. I've got big dreams, you know, and uh-huh. I'm working with them. And uh, she helped me uh, when I made my first movie, The Method. She helped me get an agent. And it was just, you know, it's amazing times, man. You know, my first movie, The Method, you know, I, I got Sean Patrick Flannery attached. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to d- give him props because – he, he believed in me, you know, I was a first time filmmaker coming out of film school and he liked my script a lot and we connected and uh, he helped me get it made. He, he invested some money in it even. Wow. Um, he was a great guy. And, you know, those are the days when, you know, Quentin broke on the scene, right? Mm-hmm. Danny Boyle with train spotting and, man, it was just, a, it was really such a magical time for independent cinema, you know, and the big blockbusters would come on a out on a Friday. And I remember, you know, it was like you would live and die by like the LA times, New York times, variety, Hollywood reporter, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so cool that now you and I are talking and it's like power to the people. Like I love reading the audience's reactions to Willie's, you know, that's who I made it for, you know? Um, and uh, it's just cool that like everybody has a voice now and can say what they like and what they don't. And, but it was a different time back then, you know, and, uh, you know, full of fond memories for me. I mean, I I made a movie called downward angel and, uh, I made it for, you know, a couple hundred grand Mm -hmm. at the time. And, uh, it got picked up by blockbuster, uh, for like half a million. And then that was huge, you know, and there was a big thing. And, uh, the Hollywood Reporter was like the head of Blockbuster and said the killer bees. And it had, uh, a, uh, I think it's called the contaminated man with William Hurt, uh, frame poster on one end. And it was my poster downward angel <laughs> on the other. And, uh, it was just, I was like, wow, I made a movie that Blockbuster's going to get, you know, like <laughs> yeah. Blockbuster was the, the, the bomb at the time, you know? And, uh, yeah, man, good, good stuff. I've seen a lot, you know, with the evolution of movies from USC shooting Super 8 Mm -hmm. and cutting on Super 8, doing doing Super 8 films and uh, cutting Gunsmoke episodes together to learn editing, you know, and then now shooting, you know, stuff on an iPhone. It's crazy. (laughs) It's nuts, man. It's nuts. I mean, the technology really has advanced a hell of a lot, but it's fascinating yeah. because we talk about this on this show all the time. It's fascinating how even though the technology's advanced and you can really figure out how to use the gear, you still have to go back and examine like the language of cinema. You still have to go back and understand, you know, how the audience reacts to a wide shot cutting into a close up. You know what I mean? Like there's Oh, totally, totally. I remember I remember James Cameron came to SC to show uh the director cut of the abyss. Wow. And uh he was like Technology. The filmmaker should not go to technology. Technology should go to the filmmaker. Mm. I thought that was so interesting, 
And it's just like, you know, you need to tell your story whatever way possible, you know, and, uh, funny story too about that. Um, I remember, uh, Oh, I took a Hitchcock class at SC. Cool. Great, great class. And, um, they had, uh, the, the, uh, the DP of psycho and, uh, he came and, and spoke. Wow. And on, on the test, the, my teacher, my professor, uh, professor Casper, uh, he, he had a thing about, uh, the light bulb swinging <laughs> at the end mm-hmm. and with the, you know, and he said, you know, what does that represent? And it was the duality of man. That was the answer. Right. <laughs> yep. And so someone raises their hand and says to the DP, you know, uh, so the, the duality of man shot, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, what do what? Yeah. And, and he's like, Oh, it's the light bulb shot. And he's like, Oh man, he goes. That was a last-minute thing. We were running out of time, and the studio was going to shut us down. And so we put up a ladder, put up a hi hat, and hitch. And I just put up the camera and got it and popped it off. And uh, that was that. And, and everyone looked at my professor. He's like, "Okay, everybody gets extra credit," you know. And and it, you know, and you learn a lot because it's like the reading into things, and and, and sometimes things are there, and that's what the filmmaker intended. And, and sometimes not. And it's all, it's all good. That's what's beautiful about art. I, I remember meeting Peter Murphy. I love Peter Murphy. And uh, I told him about his song, Cuts You Up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, that song meant a lot to me I, when I moved from Denver to L.A. And uh, I was telling him about it. And he looked at me like I was speaking a different language. <laughs> and, and I was like, what? And he's like, I'm, he goes, I'm fascinated with, with your interpretation, I meant nothing of the sort, you know, <laughs> and he, and he, but he's, he still wanted to talk to me and he got this long line. People like with Bauhaus, you know, you know, move along. We got to get some Bela Lugosi's dead stuff signed. <laughs> yeah, and, right, uh, right. and, uh, he wanted to have this full on conversation cause he was fascinated. I read, I read everything wrong, you know, I, well wrong or, or not what he intended, but, um, you know, it was great. I mean, I'm talking to the artist who wrote an amazing song and I'm just telling them my experience and my life with the song, you know, and that's, what's great about art. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I just, that's what we do. What we do, you know, inspire people. And my best thing for something like Willie's is some kid out there is watching it and wants to be a director, man, after Willie's, they want to be a filmmaker. How cool is that? Yeah. Right, Mike? Yeah, you know? totally. I mean, that's, that's what we're there for. So anyways, I'm sorry to go off on a tangent. No, dude, this uh, show is all about tangents. So we're, it's, it's oh, fully nice. welcome. Okay, cool. And look, I agree with you. I've done some films myself. And like, I've had people come up to me and go, this, this has got something to do with your father, right? <laughs> and I'm like, not really. But, you know, it's cool that you feel that way. Because at the end of the yeah. day, whether it's music, whether it's movies, whether you're looking at a painting, it's all... Like there's a lot of factors involved, whether it's your personal life, where you are emotionally when you sit down to watch that thing, like what yeah. what it is that you're finding connectivity to. And at least yeah. nowadays, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like 
a lot of the trouble that we run into when we're developing a movie is that a lot of these studios are like, you have to come up with a common denominator. There has to be that connectivity. And they really want yep. it spelled out simply where it's like, you know, his yep. dad, this guy's an alcoholic. So, you know, anybody that had a dad that was an alcoholic gets that, or this woman was cheated on, blah, 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 blah. And it, yeah. it, it's, it's clean and sober meets Kramer versus Kramer, <laughs> you know, with a dash of jaws in it. All right. Okay. Now I get it. It's easy. The pitch, you know? Yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, man. And then, you know, you you just end up with a lot of vanilla stuff because all yep, of the themes yep. are just trash. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. People want to play it safe, man, you know? And that that's what I like about our movie. It ain't safe. Yeah. Some people say, oh, it could have gone further. Yeah, it, and, and there were times I wanted to go further. It, it, it was interesting setting up shots for the movie. You know, I, I, I did a 70-page shot list, mm. so I had everything ready to go. I worked with my DP, Dave Newbert, which is, he's amazing. And, uh, I, I just planned this movie out because I knew I only had 20 days. Mm-hmm. And so we'd be setting up shots, you know, a lot of Dutch angles and stuff. And be like, Hey, is this, is this going too far? And it's like, it's Nick Cage versus an animatronic weasel. <laughs> Nothing is off limits, you know, yeah. and just go for it, you know? And I really approached this movie like, you know, man, you just, movie making is such a privilege mm-hmm. and it's hard as you know mm-hmm. you know a lot of money you know a lot of time people you know people i mean it's amazing any film gets made you know uh, hats off yeah you know yeah. everybody's so quick to judge but they don't know you know nobody sits out to make a bad movie Nobody sits out and say, you know what? I'm going to make a movie and it's just going to suck. You know, it's like, no, man. People, you know, money, you know, their freaking savings or their parents or whoever. Uh, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it's blood, sweat, and tears, right? And yeah. so, you know, you go and you make something and, you know, you hope people love it. It's not poetry, right? So it's not like you're writing poetry and you put it in your – your bedroom uh, closet. Right. Maybe mo- right. making movies is for people to see and enjoy and a comment. It's interesting too. Like when, you know, there were a lot of stops and starts with Willie's. We had a company that was going to do it and turn out it didn't happen and very painful on, on a lot of things. And, and it was like, I would think to myself, well, at least I won't get, you know, destroyed by the critics. <laughs> you know, if you know, the movie doesn't get made, that was like, you know, and it was funny because it was like I was kidding myself because, of course, I want to go make the movie, you know, and all this. But it's like, yeah, well, Kevin, you're going to get it ripped by the critics. So, yeah, maybe it's better you don't, you know, and it was comfort food in the mind. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. You, you, I mean, to be a filmmaker, man, it's tough. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, you know, it's funny because I was thinking, especially when my reflecting back on my days in at SC in film school, they ought to, they ought to make a class called pass the class and it's basically about you learning what the word pass means <laughs> and how you deal with it yes because yes past is the word that you will hear time and time again oh. it is the, it is the the word of the day night evening month year pass oh you know and dude it's the worst and consistently you know? the, the, i think the hardest part for me is that you cannot sort of passively pitch something, you know, because you can't oh, yeah. go into something going like, I'm not going to get this. I'll just go in there and I'll just passively do it. 
And yeah. I, like I tried, I tried to do that once. And luckily, yeah. I have my agents of management in between me. And I remember my my manager called me up. He goes, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Dude, I don't buy any of this. You need to be in love with this." I go, "I'm not gonna get it." He goes, "It doesn't matter. You have to be so into this shit. And every time you go into yeah. a room, you got to love it." And so what you're doing is you're just stacking up emotional defeat and it's consistent where it's like, Oh, you're so right, buddy. You know, you're so right. You know, it, you know, and, and it's funny, like a contractor doesn't come in to your house or, you know, you, 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 you want to, you know, build on your second floor. It's like, okay, man, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do the second floor. Here's the blueprint and blah, 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 blah. I'd call you all the time <laughs> going, Hey, I got this other cool idea, whatever. It's like, here's the blueprint, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I went 35% down, you know, but, and it's like, that's the movie industry, right? And that's why yeah. artists, they get taken advantage of. That's why we don't get paid on time. That's why we do stuff for free because we love it so much. And yeah. I can't countless jobs that I've done for free or that I didn't get paid for. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's crazy. And it's like, that's what it is, man. We get used because we're yeah. artists and we wear our emotions on the sleeve. But on the same token, if you don't have that and your manager was right, you know, then you shouldn't probably do it. You know, I, right. I loved Willie's ever since I, I read the script from Geo Parsons. And uh, I interesting story on that is that um, uh, Jessica Davis, the, uh, she plays Siren Sarah. Um, she had a acting class with Geo uh -huh. and she found the script. And she brought it to her husband, uh, Jeremy Daniel Davis, and he loved it. He optioned it, and he brought it to me. Oh, and Jeremy, and this is such a cool story. Okay, so and he he tells it better, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll, I'll I'll tell it. Uh, so I did a little movie called Malibu Spring Break. Um, I did it with, for Crown Entertainment. I shot it. I, I wrote it in three days and shot it in nine. So yeah, I know it's not a good movie. So we can move on there. But um, I shot 35 millimeter actually, which was hilarious. Wow. But um, it was back to the old, you know, TNA movies of my tutor and stuff like that. Sure. But uh, anyway, it, you know, everything you, you work on to me, you learn. So, um, but I met Jeremy as an actor and uh, we were going to do his, some scenes with him and I was running out of time I promised him I was going to do some, the scene and, uh, I was under the gun, you know, I was doing all this stuff and the producer course is like, you need to get the wet t-shirt contest, you know? And I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, uh, but I, I, I stopped and I, I got Jeremy the scene that I promised him I would. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was really cool. You know, years later, uh, he remembered that and, he came back and actually he met through a friend of ours. He actually tried to help me with another project, but he was a producer at that point. And he brought Willie's to me because he thought I was the right director. And he remembered what I did for him. Mm -hmm. And I, and I didn't, you know, I just did it because I said I was going to do it. You know, we said we we're going to shoot the scene and, and, uh, and it's just, it's amazing, man. Malibu spring break got me Willie's wonderland. <laughs> it's now, it's crazy yeah, how that stuff ha actually happens all the time in our yeah. industry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember having an agent going, your career is determined of the things you turn, turn down and the things you do. And I'm like, well, when you don't have a career and you're not doing anything, there's no point to that. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> you got to work, yep. you know, and, um, 
anyway, so doing that movie, it's like Malibu Spring Break equals Willy's Wonderland. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> time to say thank you to the folks that make this show possible and no you egomaniacs i'm not talking about you the listener ask yourself what have you done for me lately (laughs) i'm talking about the sponsors for the show i'm talking about the companies that we tirelessly search for to team up with to partner up with Uh, because i don't believe in doing sponsorships like the other shows do we're not partnering with some sort of big time sponsor fucking company that finds sponsors for podcasts each one of these companies i meticulously seek out and i write to and i have conversations with and i use their products so how do i find a sponsor i'm usually using a product that i'm looking at it on my desk going huh, they should sponsor the show. Let me write to them. And then it takes like three, four fucking months for it to come to flourishion. But that's how it happened, okay? So first up, they've been with us since the beginning. Before the beginning, they've helped me with uh, financing films. They've helped this show. They continue to help filmmakers. They continue to help musicians. They help artists, cad drawers, fucking gamers. Puget Systems, the dudes that build the best PCs in the marketplace. I'm gonna say that, I'm putting my name behind that. They build the fastest, most reliable PCs and the best dollar for your, the best processing speed for your dollar. Wow, Michael, you got it. Can you tell that I didn't have a good night's sleep last night? Um, Love Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com if you're looking to build a new machine. There you can choose a baseline package based upon the software you're using, right? How crazy is that? You can actually build a machine with an understanding of the software that you're going to use. <laughs> Instead of buying a machine that's pre-built for you and going, man, I hope my software works on here, right? Big difference. So go to Puget, check it out. And here's what's great about these guys is that they want to hear from their customers. They want you to communicate with them. They want to build you something that works specifically for you. They love the community of building computers. And this isn't a manufacturing company. These guys don't build parts. They're not going to pedal off like, here's my sweet new graphics card. And guess what? This graphics card works for every program. Baloney. It doesn't fucking work for every program. And these guys know that. What they do is they go through and they benchmark test all the gear that is out there in the marketplace. They're running it through all of their tests. They actually have this really cool room in their space where they essentially use predator vision on their machines so that they can see the heat and where the heat is being uh, distributed inside of it and if there are dangerous levels. So they built these machines in these cases to be insanely quiet and they disperse heat beautifully. Love this company. There are a hundred things I could say about this company. I could literally do an entire podcast about all the great stuff that Puget Systems does. Okay. So I use Puget Systems machines. I've been using them for years at this point. I've cut all my films on them. We do uh, post-processing on Puget Systems. So go check them out. I cannot say enough good things about them. If you're going to make a big purchase this year, that is where to do it. There's a link below this episode. 
go on over there, tell them the mic sent you, and uh, they'll probably give you a virtual high five with a mask on and gloves. Uh, also supporting the show, as always, are good friends over at Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in the movie business has been lighting over the past 10 years. It's been lighting. LED lighting has sort of changed the game. Now, what does that mean? It's changed the game. Well, essentially, you're able to get more light, to get more versatile lights by pulling less power. And that changes the way you budget things out. That changes the way you crew things out, right? You still need a gaffer, you still need a grip, you still need your team, you still need the professionals that know how to use these lights correctly, that know how to create that separation, how to create that depth. You still need a key grip that knows how to make shadows, right? Because we're always talking about lights and what lights do you turn on? Yeah, but then who makes the light look good? It's always the key grip. We never really talk about that. I gotta get a good key grip on the show and really talk about how the crafting of light is what makes this stuff really great. But Quasar Science makes these LED tubes that change the way you plan things out. Why? Because it requires less power. There was a point in time when I was coming up where it was like, shit, how many HMIs am I gonna have to use? How much power is that drawing? And hell, I'm gonna need a fucking generator. And then if I get a generator, that means I have to get a permit to put it on the street. That means I probably have to have a union guy to run it. That also means that I have to have uh, a certain amount of guys to use these lights. And the larger the lights are, the more guys it requires to put them on stands and to put them up and to move them, right? It's kind of a thing. So you start getting into the lighter, more lightweight, less draw LED technology. And it does really amazing things. And you could daisy chain these things all together. You can DMX them together. You can start to program light moves through them. We've seen it. You've seen the weekend's music videos, a lot of quasars, a lot of that stuff in there. Um, a lot of folks come to me and ask, Mike, what do you have in your kit? I've got a bunch of stuff in my kit. I've got some household bulbs in my kit. I've got some tungsten units in my kit. But I'll tell you this, I got a bunch of quasar tubes in there and I use them a lot. So go to Quasar Science, check them out. Check them out on Instagram at Quasar Science. You'll be able to see some teasers for their puppet shows. And if you go to them on Instagram, leave them a message and say, hey, I heard about you. I'm in love with the process. Mike sent me they don't have a traceable link for me. So go tell them that I sent you there. Also supporting the show are returning. They were a new sponsor in the earlier episodes of this season. They're now coming back. Our friends over at Movie Tees. That's M-O-V-I-T-E-E-S. Movie Tees. These guys make the nerdiest t-shirts that you can get your hands on. And it's perfect for this episode because we're talking about cult stuff. These guys make the best cult t-shirts. Why do I say so? Because they're not on the nose. I mean, sure, I've got great shirts. I've got like a Poltergeist shirt that says Poltergeist on it. So I'm wearing it around and some dudes on the set or some other fans or people in a movie theater or at a comic book store are like, Poltergeist, love that movie, wink. These guys do it differently. They actually make t-shirts based upon the corporations that are in the movies that we love. Okay, so how many levels of nerd are we getting into here, right? Now, simply, like a couple shirts that you would understand at first glance, I've got a sweet Skynet shirt. What movie is a Skynet shirt from, right? What movie is the Nostromo shirt from or a Nostromo hat from? Pretty simple, pretty basic. But these guys go even deeper. Tease.com. I'm going to look at their current list. Oh, yeah, I typed that in wrong. M-O-V-I-T-E-E-S dot com. Here we go. 
if you go to their website, click on choose a movie, they, <laughs> they have great shirts from some of my favorite films. Like, okay, what movie is the Capital Pictures logo from? Go to movietees.com and check that out. See if you can answer that question. You can always leave me responses to this on my Instagram. Uh, let's find another t-shirt here. Uh, hold on. As I'm looking, I'm looking for a good one. Let's see here. Let's see here. Let's see here. Stand by. There's so many shirts, so many great fucking movies here. Okay. Uh, Lou's Tavern. What movie's that from? Right? See what I'm saying? You wear these shirts and uh, you're on set and someone goes, Jack's Demolition. I love fucking heat. You go, okay, this guy is a super nerd. That's why I love these shirts. That's why I wear them. Is it elitist? Eh, it might be. You know, but it is culty, it is super nerdy, and I love it. So be part of the club, go to movietees.com, and the best part is we have a discount promo code for them. Their t-shirts are really affordable, and if you use our promo code, uh, which I'll list underneath the episode, I think it's just ILWP, um, and you'll get a sweet discount. Let me double check on that. Hold on, movietees. Yes. Okay, so all the information is going to be listed below. Definitely enter in the promo code. Get a discount off of your new order from Movie Tees. And you've seen me posting other fans that have been buying stuff from them. We did a contest with them. We're probably going to do another contest um, as we come up. And here it is. Could you tell it was buying time as I looked up the info? If you enter this promo code, it's in love with the process. I think they changed it to ILWP. I'll list it below the show. You get 10% off. So 10% off your next order on Movie Tees. Wow, you would think I should prep these things before I start talking about them, right? Anyway, also supporting the show. uh, A great way to do so is, if you haven't done so already, sign up for a free trial with Audible. That's audibletrial.com backslash love of the process. Link will be below the episode. Uh, sign up for a free trial if you haven't done so already at another podcast. What that'll get you is 30 days for free at Audible. It'll get you a free audio book, which you can listen to at any time. And it gets you access to all their really great audio content. You've heard me talk about it on the show. I'm listening to all of my books on Audible right now because it seems to be the only way I can get through a book these days without falling asleep in a chair. How crazy is that? Probably has something to do with... Uh, how bad my sleep habits are and that's a big reason why I'm reading The Sleep Solution with Chris Winter right now. I'm actually learning a lot about uh, my sleep and how I don't necessarily have trouble sleeping I just have really bad sleep. So I'm really trying to get into that deep and maybe we'll do an episode on it. I think we should. But anyway sign up for a free trial at audible.com it's audibletrial.com backslash love the process the link is below the episode if you sign up 30 days, you decide, I don't want to continue this. I don't have enough cash. No big deal. We still get paid. It's the best way to support the show without reaching into your own wallet and spending your own money. And last thing, I know I've been hitting you guys with a lot today. Deal with it. Last thing is that if you go to lovewiththeprocess.com, there you will find all of our episodes curated for you. So if you want to listen to all the director episodes, they're up there. If you want to listen to all the actor episodes, they're up there. They're all in one place. I know how crazy it could be to look at that long list on Apple Podcasts or look at that long list on Spotify and go, where do I stop? 
Well, if you're a true comic book fan, you go back to number one, you work your way through. But if you're an impatient person, then you want to go to unlovewiththeprocess.com and find the episodes that you want to listen to. And, you know, check it out. We worked really hard on that website every week. Try to make it look really cool. The front page has got some really cool stuff. We usually have background movies, clips. Uh, there's also supporting information for the episode. So it's a great resource if you're listening to this episode and you want to see some pictures of the director. You want to see maybe some behind the scenes stills. You want to see trailers. We put it all in one place. Make it simple. It's all there at levelproces.com. All right. Enough parading you guys with stuff. Let's get back to the episode. So Jeremy brought me the script and we really liked it and uh, we partnered up together and Nick was the only one that we saw for the janitor. He was it. Yeah. Yeah, and how does so 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 then you guys sought him out? Is that was was that the deal? Was it hard to get convinced yeah. him to be on it? Or yeah, we got we had a casting director. Uh, actually, Geo had a friend, the casting director, and we made it, we we got it to Nick's uh, manager, Mike Nylon, and Mike's such a great guy. He's a producer on the movie, mm-hmm. and he loved the script, and he gave it to Nick, and uh, Nick loved the script too, wow. and Nick was loyal, man. You know. It, it took us almost a year from him reading that script to shooting the movie. Um, yeah. Nick is such a great, you know, it's an amazing actor. We all know that. Yep. Uh, um, uh, an incredible partner to work with on a movie. And more than anything, though, a, a decent, amazing human being. Just a kind, kind soul. Yeah. That's great. And I'm just so happy that I got to work with him and he deserves everything and more, man, what he's done. He's just a great guy. He's got such a, I was talking about it earlier. He's got such a amazing career path and you look at what he's done yep. in the films he's done. And then you look at the transitions yep. that his career has taken. It's yep. amazing when you, when you see it. And then this, you know, this, this cult superstar that's sort of rising from like, independent cult films at this point you know with his films like mandy and color from out of space yeah. and her film yeah it's yeah. it's insane to watch his stuff and and to see him like he's a name i mean i'm sure when once you got nick attached to this movie it must have been almost green light time at that point right you would think pal um <laughs> okay i right. mean yeah you would think i mean you know let's just say this yes a lot of that and it's a lot of the vultures come out you know um, oh. I would always say, t- I would always say to Jeremy, it's like, he's like Frodo and Nick's the ring, you know? And it's like, everyone's trying to get the ring, you know? And, uh, <laughs> it was an arduous journey, man, to still to get this movie done, but we did it. We found good partners to do it with. I mean, how cool is screen media too? Like what they've done with the marketing on this movie is just phenomenal from the motion posters, you know, yeah. to the, I mean, they've just, they did that fake commercial, I don't know if you saw that. Did you I see didn't that see one? that. No, I'll have to see it. I'll have to see it. You've got to check it out. It is so cool. It's like a, a Willy's Wonderland commercial. Um, <laughs> but anyways, we did it with great, great partners and uh, on it. And so, you know, it takes time, you know, and 
you know, this movie's not for everyone. I always call it a tightrope movie. You know, it could go either way, man. It could have gone really bad. Yeah. You know, if not done right. Yep. That's why I was like, got to plan this thing out right. That 70 page shot list. You know, the whole thing about thinking of how to shoot Willie and the animatronics and not make him look goofy and corny. You know, goofy and corny in a good light because that kind you know, part of the movie, but not terrible goofy corny. You know what I mean? And so it was very like, all right, I want, I don't want to ever shoot a full shot of him here. And I, you know, and it was just, uh, and th- th- there's a point to like, we call it rage cage or, you know, you call it cage rage, but when he gets crazy and, you know, you know, starts whooping up on the animatronics, we would do like this 18 frames per second, uh, with handheld shake. Uh-huh. And then we would like send like uh, light. We would use flashlight. We would uh, s- uh, shine light into the lens and have lens flares yep. going. Yep. We got more lens flares this week than J.J. Abrams, man. <laughs> and uh, and they're all organic. That's uh, great. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> That's great. Uh, we love. I love my lens flares. It's <laughs> funny. I was telling somebody because uh, you know I you know I did work with McTiernan and stuff like that. And he was one of my favorite directors and. Uh, I was telling somebody in the beginning of the process, I was like, I want the ending to be die hard. And they flipped out. They thought, Oh my God, this guy, what's he going to crazy? He's going to, you know, wreck a huge freaking helicopter. And <laughs> wait, 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 we don't have the budget for this. But what I meant was just the tone and the feel man. And the, yeah. and the lens flares in it yeah. and the look and, Anyway, so well, dude. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's a solid point. This is something that I'm t- constantly talking with younger filmmakers about, and those yeah. listening to the show have heard me say this a million times. As a cinematographer, when I was younger, and when I work with my cinematographers now, I always say to them, like, "This is too clean. I drive with a filthy windshield. My windshield has bird <laughs> shit on it. That's how I see the fucking world. And so I want nice. dirty glass. I want pitted glass. I want it to be that nice. way because I I buy it more and. When you talk yeah. about Die Hard, of course, Die Hard's everybody's top, right? And of course, people yeah. would go, oh, when the helicopter exploded, when he comes off the building. But it's the little moments in Die Hard that I really love. And oh, yeah. a lot of the new filmmakers that are so obsessed with stabilization and fixing shots. And and there's this yeah. whole monitor crowd now where everybody's sitting around the monitor going, that's not perfect. I love sequences yeah. in Die Hard, like specifically, and I think I've talked about it on the show when he's fighting the terrorist at the end and he wraps the chain around his neck and he pulls him down the staircase and, yep. and there's this dolly in that is that is trash. Like you can see it. It's shaking yeah. all over the place. And it would never- and It's a stunt double too. You can see it. it's Bruce's stunt double. <laughs> it doesn't even look like him. Yeah. You can totally see it. Up, yeah. yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. But it yep. adds to the tone. It adds to the piece uh, somehow. I know. You know? I love that yeah. about it. Well, aren't mistakes part of movies, right? Like, yeah. Nothing has to be, this whole thing, like you say, has to be perfect. That's why, like, Dave Newbert and I, uh, Dave the DP, uh, we're like, we want punk rock. Mm-hmm. We want grindhouse. Mm-hmm. We want little muddled. You know, like, that's what we wanted. That was the look. We had pastels, you know, the color scheme. Molly Coffee did the production design, and she was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we wanted that look. It, and these lens flares, it gave it kind of this otherworldly vibe. That's what I wanted, you know, so. Well, I think it's important too, especially knowing his latest catalog of stuff, you know, because you Mm. you go and you watch Mandy and Mandy is is its own version of a punk rock album. And and I've had the editor on the show and 
it's oh wow yeah dude the, the mandy stuff is really great and then he, you go to color from space and it's a whole different kind of vibe but it still yeah. has sort of that purple look and and so then you see the trailer for your flick and it's different and it still feels like it would belong in a lineup like if you went to a like a like a triple bill you know like a yeah. grindhouse screening at a drive-in it looks like yeah. it perfectly fits in that vibe oh that thank you buddy that, that's a that's a huge compliment because i think those two movies are fantastic i'm so glad that richard's back yeah you know yeah. making movies yeah yeah you know i mean do you ever do you see that lost soul documentary yeah it's crazy dude the shit that that guy went uh, through <laughs> it's just not right man yeah you know i mean that's the thing it's like you know sometimes it's like they get these filmmakers and it's just they use them as tools yep. because they can you know and uh it's it's just yeah it's crazy so I, I'm really really happy to that he he he's back he did a great job I mean I think that was one of the most faithful Lovecraftian you know adaptations that I've seen yeah you know it was really good and uh, I agree. Mandy is just in a world on its own man it's a great movie yeah I agree with you on on both accounts and I think that it's fascinating because we're talking this seems to be a theme of this it's fascinating how. Uh, a lot of directors, it, it's this weird balance of trying to find your voice. It's trying to find your confidence and being confident, but mm -hmm. also being a collaborator, but also knowing yeah. when you have to fight your fights and when you can't fight your fights. Uh, I mean, this is stuff that I go through now when I'm putting together a movie. It's, mm -hmm. it's this delicate balance of, of folks looking to you to be the person that has all the answers. But then when you're dealing with, whether it's execs or studio people, they're also looking at you going, I know more than you do. So it's this weird, oh, yeah. it's this weird balance. It's, I think it's very easy to lose sight of A, your vision and B, your confidence, which then keeps mm -hmm. the movie on track. Because like you said, your movie could have gone off the rails if, yeah. if it was bullied in a specific way because it is a dangerous yeah. film to make. It's a, it really is. It really is. And you have to have partners and people that, you know, share the creative vision. Because, yeah, it, it really could. You know, it's funny because talking about that, it's like, uh, and I know you've probably been through this too. It's like you're real, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you're directly real. <laughs> and I was just said so tired of going up for projects or whatever. And I show my director's reel. And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And it's like, and then we're in a room that I've done more movies than these than the guys are doing this film. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, wow, I've done like six or seven films these guys have done nothing or maybe one and they're judging me, you know, and that's cool. Hey, you don't like my reel or whatever, you know, it, that's all, it's all good. But it was just the, sometimes the attitude, yeah. like they're kingmakers, you know? And, uh, I was so happy because I know after this movie, it's like, you know, there's no more reels. Yeah. It's like, uh, the director of Willie's wonderland, <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you dig it or you don't, <laughs> you know, dude, it's great. Uh, dude. It's a smart, it's a smart thing because at that point you're, joining the cult lexicon and yeah the thing that's so fascinating about cult stuff and this is something that i talk about in the intro is that you go back and you watch like for me i go back and i, I reference like they call her one eye and i reference like the original oh, last wow. house on the left and these yeah. are these are movies that may or may not be cheesy currently may or may not have been sort of grindhouse sort of exploitive when they did it mm -hmm. but they're tricks and techniques and story yeah. skilling language that absolutely that people use in fucking marvel movies now 
So it's, it's fascinating. I totally agree, buddy. I, yeah, I had a friend. He used to say, I don't watch bad movies. <laughs> I don't want to get influenced by bad movies. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, first of all, a bad movie, there's always something good in a bad movie that you could you know, pull out. Yep. And uh, if you're that, no, no offense, but if you're that weak, that you're going to get influenced by a bad movie. Maybe you shouldn't even watch good movies, you know, but, uh, right. but no, it's seriously, it's like, you can always find something cool and, and different. And that's what I want to do with, with Willie's. I mean, you know, Sam Raimi is like, you know, my favorite filmmaker. So mm-hmm. evil dead was such a huge, you know, uh, influence. Mm-hmm. And when I read this, I was like, this could be my evil dead, you know? Totally. Um, totally. And, uh, you know, I'm, I just think that Sam is, He's just incredible. And, you know, I love Darren Aronofsky and Nicholas Renfin and, uh, uh, you know, Danny Boyle. Mm -hmm. These are the guys that really give me the energy to make movies because it's hard, man. You know, you've been through it. You know, the passes, the, you know, the money's here. No, it's not. The financing fell through. Uh, Before this, you know, it's funny because you're like, wow, you haven't directed for a while. But it's like I was on four or five projects, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and I was I I had Maz Mickelson on one, wow, and um, I had him before he won the Can Award, um, and he was such a great man talking to him. What a great guy! Oh, I love I'd uh, love to talk to him. Our, oh yeah, he's so cool, and um, he really wanted to do this project. But, you know, his name couldn't get the financing Ugh. at that point, you know. And that, this is after Casino Royale, you know, but no one cared, you know. And and now, you know, I mean, look at him. So um, it's fascinating. I, I, have you figured yeah. out, to, not to interrupt, but have you, have, no, you, no, no. have you figured out the value system for actors? Because it, it blows <laughs> my fucking mind. I wish. Yeah. I wish, buddy. Uh, it changes daily. You know, it used to be driven by foreign numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Foreign was the big one. Foreign still is. You know, you got to get, you know, I don't know. There, there's so many different models now because you've got now like streaming, right? So you got Amazon and and uh, Netflix. And I, what I hear, and I, I don't know this to be true, but it, it sounds great. It makes sense. Is that you go to like a streamer. They pay you the money to make the movie. That You don't get any points or anything on the back end. They own the movie, but they don't mess with you in the movie. You get to do your movie. They own it. They pay you well, but, you know, that's it. I was like, well, that's pretty cool, you know, other than when, like, Warner Brothers, you know, doing Batman with Jack Nicholson when they said they were broke and they never made a dime right, or right. or making, you know, Mad, Mad Max, you know, uh, uh, the, the new with George Miller and saying uh, the movie never made any money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like that's pretty cool. And, and, and you get to go make your film the way you want to make. Then there's the other model, which is the foreign sales model, where you get the foreign sales company and, and, and uh, you get them attached. You try to get a domestic deal. And so there's a lot of different ways, but it's, a, it's, a, it's different every time. And it just depends on what movie you're making. Um, and, it, and like you say about actors, they can go up and down. Yeah. You know, you get somebody and you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to make get my movie made. And then the sales numbers come back and you're like, what? You know, <laughs> it, it's crazy. And then, but then you, I mean, then you, you know, you see all these like cool horror movies that are being made. And, uh, I, I was reading an article 
about this director. He did all these Hallmark movies, and he just did a, a horror movie. He wanted to do a horror movie, mm-hmm. and it sounded pretty cool. It was like a Rosemary's Baby about this older senior couple who wanted a kid, and so they become Satanists, and they capture <laughs> uh, this this woman or something. I think it's on Shutter, but uh, you just see all these cool like horror movies come out, and you think, wow, how are they getting financed? What's what's you know how how do they? Get, I mean, it's cool. I'm really happy. So I don't know. It's an enigma, man. Yeah, um, I, I wish I, I did because you and I we'd be on the sets right now shooting movies, you know. <laughs> and uh, it's such a it's such a privilege to and, and to shoot a movie, you know. Um, think the right things just have to fit at the right time, you know. Well, and I just I guess the reason I'm asking these questions of you, a you know, as a peer, I'd be like, yo, what the fuck's going on? But also, <laughs> but also, b I think the the audience always hears like it's tough to get a movie made and it takes forever to get a movie made. No. But I don't think they, no. they, they actually understand the the yeah. process in the, the, the strange tornado effect of, no. you know, yeah, we got this great, like we got this great actor and then suddenly that actor says something on Twitter and now everything's dead or, oh, yeah. you know, we have, oh, yeah. I, I, I've found the ability to convince somebody like, you know, this guy who's been in all these amazing movies that I loved growing up as a kid. And now you're telling me that he has zero fucking value. And then you're telling me to hire this guy because his value is based upon how many successful uh, Jimmy Fallon interviews he did and how, how yeah. big the numbers were on a YouTube video yeah. for that. And you're like, what? How, what? Yeah. how does this make yeah. any sense? Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, actors like, oh, how many IG followers do they have? It was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, Kish, uh, Christian Agrasho, uh, he plays uh, Aaron in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a great audition. And uh, we loved him. And so we cast him. I didn't know he was this huge YouTuber, uh, <laughs> Instagram, you know, uh, Twitter. I had no idea, you know, and um, it was cool. Yeah. And I hired him because he's a great he was a great actor, man. He did a good job, you know. Yeah. And uh it's a different world, man. You know, I remember the days and you know, you'd get a headshot and a and a script and they would deliver it to you. You know, and now it's <laughs> like you get a file and it's thousands of headshots in color, not black and white. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so right. uh right. it's just uh, I mean, we could shoot it you could shoot a movie on your iPhone now. It's just bizarre it um, it's is. cool it's cool but there's a lot of content out there now that that was my main worry too with willie's like okay we're gonna make this movie it's gonna be a nick cage movie that's great um but still like how do we cut ahead of the other content that's out there mm-hmm. how do we make ours special and so i would ask my friends before i went off to georgia we shot in georgia oh cool uh for 20 days and said what do you give me the five things that you want out of Willie's, you know? And it was interesting because most of them came back the same thing. Let Nick Cage be Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. Practical effects, you know, mm-hmm. salute to the eighties, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if it's cheap, you know, it, 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 kind of like organic, if it's cheesy, whatever, let it be, you know, like, but these guys are of course, you know, more my age, but it was just cool. Like I, I did that. You know, and that's what was fun about the movie. I knew what we were making, you know, and and the crew knew what we were making. And they were really excited to be a part of it. Everybody was so happy to come to set and work so hard. 
every one of them. And you, you know, dude, and you can it was just you a can great experience. you can see it. I'm telling you. Oh, and I, that's cool, dude. I like I'm a firm believer that a happy crew, a happy team makes a good movie. And and me too. You can me too. see it on screen, and it looks like you guys are having a blast making this thing. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm a filmmaker too, so we we both know you watch a trailer and you know within the first five frames of a trailer if it sucks, and you look at it yeah. and you go. They hated making this movie, or this is obviously them yeah. trying to cash in on this other fucking movie that was made. And so yeah. the <laughs> the premise of your movie isn't cashing in on anything. It's yeah. like it's completely left field. And then it's like it would have been an interesting watch to begin with. And then you have mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage attached to it. So it's yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Um, and this is the movie, which also brings me to my next question of you. It must be really annoying that you haven't been able to see this with a with a live audience yet. Have you have you actually sat in a theater oh, with this? Oh man, it's such a bummer. You know, I I I imagine this being like at a Toronto Midnight Madness, mm-hmm. you know, festival. I I imagine this being maybe at Comic Con, saying you know hi to the fans. That's who I made this movie for, man. I made it for us. I made it for mm-hmm. the fanboys and girls out there. I made it for an audience. I made it for the midnight crowd that back in the old days, you'd drive, you know, you, you would drive an hour and a half to see this, this movie playing, you know, somewhere. It's not playing everywhere, you know, an evil dead or whatever. Mm-hmm. I made it for them, you know, and it's a bummer, but you know, what's interesting is I've got, I got four kids. So I got two teenagers and I have two uh, younger boys who are five and seven. Mm-hmm. And my five and seven year olds, man, they, they, draw these creatures all the time and they give them to me and they want a willy birthday. And it's like, uh, am I a good parent or bad parent here? Cause like <laughs> the, uh, I don't want child services to hear this. Maybe, maybe I need to shut up, but, uh, it, yeah, it's like, you know, they're, they're drawing the creatures and everything. And, and then my teenagers, they having like a 30 kid watch party, you know, the other day. And, uh, you know, their school is talking about it, their friends are talking about it. And, and it's like, I'll tell you, I had an epiphany with that when the, with the watch party because it was like, you know, these are the movies I want to make. Mm-hmm. I want to spend my t- time making these fun movies. Mm-hmm. I think with enough going on, especially with COVID and what I just went through, of course, with it, and then uh, the uh, uh, political landscape, mm-hmm. I, I just want to make fun movies, man. And, you know, if, if these critics think I'm just terrible and I got rocks in my brain and <laughs> – <laughs> I could have done a better job or whatever. I don't, I don't care. You know, there'll be, there's going to be an audience out there for him. And, and, and what's cool is, you know, audiences are digging willies, man, you know, and, and that's who we made the movie for. Well, you, well, you got to remind yourself, right. That the critics are consistently wrong. So like you, oh, you go yeah. back and you look at the thing and we've talked about it on the show a hundred oh, times. Yeah. The thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting on that note. Um, uh, I met uh, uh, Keith David, and oh, uh, cool. he would say he told that told me the story. He's like, the thing came out. I think ET came out the same yep. week. Yep. And they thought they had a hit. He's like, yeah, they, everybody loved it, you know. And we know what happened with ET and everything. And mm-hmm. and the thing is, one of my favorite movies of all time. I love the thing. Um, and Blade Runner, right? Cisco yep. and Ebert, Blade Runner. Yep. You know, yep, um, dude. 
And you, you yeah. look at this stuff now and I, I can't do a post on Instagram about the thing without like hundreds of people just going, it's my favorite movie. It's the it's best movie of all time. And yep. it's a movie that had it found its own audience. And one could say it probably found it through like uh, VHS and DVDs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, uh, I just went and saw it in a in a in a quarantine drive-in out here in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. Oh, that's cool, dude! It's you. It's one of those films that you rewatch because the scenes are enjoyable, and I think there's yeah. so many movies that are getting made right now that are called horror movies, quote unquote, but they're actually uh -huh. like family dramas and all these other <laughs> films that can't get yeah. financing unless they make them into horror movies. And, yeah. and so then you watch them and you go, well, that was destructive. Okay, cool. I get, it was a good movie. Am I going to rewatch yeah. this 15 times? No. Like, no. I'm, and, maybe I'll watch it again That's what I once. wanted of Willie's. That's yeah. what I, I wanted. It's a fast movie. It's an 89-minute movie. And I just wanted people to put it on, watch it, and say, you know what? I want to watch it again. You know? Yep. Or have it playing in the background when you're doing something. And, oh, I love this scene. You know? Like, that's what I wanted for Willie's. Dude, you know, that's great. And, and I'm happy that you're making movies because thank you. We man. live thank in you. a time period where we need more filmmakers that are just having fun and that are making fun movies. And this shit isn't so fucking serious. And I want to throw up every time I walk into a room and someone goes, well, what is the origins of the creature? And what is the fucking yeah. background? <laughs> and how is this? How is the character's emotion? It's like, shut the arc, up. Yeah. The character arc. Oh, <laughs> you know? It's yeah. shut up. It's scary. It's supposed yeah. to be scary. The janitor, the janitor does not have a character arc. He starts this, <laughs> he starts silent the beginning and whatever, and he goes all the way to the end and, you don't find his backstory. It's right. like, yeah, exactly. That's what we, we meant. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, dude. I think it's, I think it's such a refreshing thing. And, and when you go back and you talk about these movies that we rewatch over and over again, you working under McTiernan, Jesus Christ, I don't know how many of his movies I just put on out of comfort where it's just like, oh, man. I want to watch, yeah. I want to watch Predator again, or I want to watch, yeah. you know, Die Hard 3 again. Um, yep. It's, because of these scenes it's because of these moments that happen in this film and putting together a movie being someone that's planning one right now that's incredibly important to me more so than does this all wrap up in a happy little like social messaging bow right now is it's for me yeah, it's more I'm really tired of that dude I agree. it's like I know. is this scene interesting to watch is this scene fun to watch and yeah. are you going to want to watch it again and again and that's kind yep. of the point you know yeah and that's Willie's, and that's why I wanted to make just a, a fun movie. If I could have, you know, a kid somewhere out there be inspired by Willie's and they want to go make movies, I've done my job. Yeah. That's what I wanted, you know? Hell yeah, man. Well, dude, it's been uh, fantastic talking to you. How are you doing on time? Are you, are you what do you got left? Oh, I'm good. Okay, I'm good. good. All right. Well, I'll throw you yeah. some more questions. I, I'm sure. sort of playing the timing game. Um, sure. But, you know, just to wrap up that thought, man, I, like, I hope that whoever's putting this movie out, who, who's distributing this movie for you guys? A screen media. A screen media, right. So I really hope once COVID's done, they do like a small run in theaters, even if it's art house theaters. Cause yeah, I know I know we're in like a 120 theaters now, a lot of them drive-ins. Yep. In Arizona, we're in some uh, Parkins theaters. But it's kind of cool because uh, there's other people on the web said so that exactly – that what you said is that 
they hope that it, it, it goes back to theaters because that's what people want to see. I, and I just think that's awesome. Yeah, dude. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. there should be special circumstances post COVID where like certain festivals are like, Hey, there was this great fucking movie that came out that we're going to program yeah. because it, you, you want that you want this. Look, if I saw beyond the black rainbow, on a fucking streaming oh. service, I wouldn't have liked yeah. it as much as seeing it in the Brattle back in Boston with heads oh. in the way and like the. Oh, that movie is so awesome. Oh, I love that movie, dude. And I you mean, have yeah. to see it with an audience. You have to see yeah. it with an audience to, to really oh, enjoy that, that movie. Is so good. Yeah, you know. Um, so I agree. Now, what do you? Well, let me ask you this: Do you, what do you think about movie theaters? When I mean, are they going to come back? I think so, man. I I really do. I think that, you know, well, you probably won't see the death of the big chains because of all that uh, stuff that's going on with stocks and shit. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the before that, my theory was that look, uh, the there's a lot of big chains out there that were movie theater chains that were kind of phoning it in and have always been phoning it in where it's like you go mm -hmm. in and like the seats suck and the tickets cost yeah. forever. And then, yeah. you know, you're sitting through like 15 advertisements and you're like, what am I doing here? Um, but I've always felt that like the Alamo draft houses, all the independent yeah. film cinemas that exist out there are always going to have a home for no other fact than, than the fact that I still buy vinyl and I go to record stores and they're <laughs> packed with people still buying vinyl because that mm -hmm. human connection. And it isn't about it looks better on the screen and it isn't about the, yeah. the purity of it. It's the human element that makes yeah. these things so fucking great. And if you're anybody that has ever been to a midnight screening of Ghostbusters, if you've ever been to the midnight screening of The Thing, that movie yeah. changes when you see it with an audience. And Rocky Horror. Hell yeah, <laughs> you know? dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, man. And I'm so happy. I hope the theaters uh, survive out here, the indie ones in Los Angeles. I'm so happy to yeah. be out here in LA because there's so many of them that yeah. do really great screening experiences out here. The Egyptian's incredible, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I saw 2001 there so many times in 70 millimeter. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we need it. Movie making is a communal experience, man. Mm -hmm. You know, watching you know watching films and uh, yes, you can watch it by yourself. You can watch it on your laptop. You can watch it on your phone. I mean, I know that fight's over, you know, but I still think there's room to go back to the theater and and watch it with an audience. And I think we need that, man. You know, so I hope I hope it comes back soon too. Well, dude, I don't think it's necessary. I think it, it's going to figure itself out, right? Because yeah. you see this with, okay, I've had quite a few YouTube content creators on the show because it's a big part mm -hmm. of filmmaking, right? Mm -hmm. And every one of them, whether it's on air or off air, are complaining at the fact that they're slaves to the delivery system. They're literally mm. creating their content at certain lengths in order for the algorithm to even register it. So the people that follow you actually get the updates. So it's like, I think there's mm. a runtime now of like 10 or 15 minutes. Now, prior to understanding that algorithm stuff, I would watch videos on YouTube and you'd see these people like regurgitating the same thing over and over again in the intro. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what the fuck are they doing? Now I mm -hmm. get it. They're just stretching it out for the algorithm. So the content oh. is changing based upon the delivery systems. 
Interesting. Which is a thing, yeah, my, you know? My son, you know, he's 16, and he watches these videos about guys playing video games, you know, talking about it. As a, and I'm like, <laughs> what the heck, man? Like, can't you watch something good? But then you feel like, oh, gosh, you're like your parents back in the day. I remember, I remember coming home and seeing how my hero was Steven Spielberg. I was probably like 12. And my grandma was like, can't you have a real hero, like a doctor, a lawyer, a fireman, you know, I'll never forget that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, man, movie theaters have to come back. We have to all go back to them when it's safe. And uh, I know, I know they will. Well, dude, you know, I mean, I don't care how old you are. I don't care what generation you grow up at. You grew up at. If you go to a screening and it's awesome, the phones don't come out. Kids aren't on the phones during a yeah, screening where, right. the, where the volume is blasting in the face and the scenes are right. so much fun. And it's yeah. it's a transformative thing. Like, I yeah. remember being a kid, seeing the difference between television and movies. And the yeah. movie experience, a couple, like, I don't know if it was Indiana Jones. It probably was one of the first Indiana Jones movies that yeah. really changed my perspective of like getting that vhs and sticking it in the player and at that point it was yeah. like this is a special little plastic box that i'm going yeah. and getting that is going to give me this great experience and then when you go see that in the movies the excitement around going to see indiana jones and the temple of doom in the theater oh yeah in the theater because oh, of that i know was huge yeah, yeah absolutely so i don't think it's yeah. going anywhere and I, I i talk about it on the show there's a lot of great articles and great podcasts. I've been really promoting that Empire podcast with uh, Tarantino and Edgar Wright when they're really sort of pushing. Oh, wow. That sounds great. Dude, you got to check it out, man. It's Oh, yeah. They're talking about the power of cinema and the power of seeing movies with an audience. Um, wow. And then Scorsese yeah. just released an article yesterday, the day before, on Fellini, where he talks about the power of cinema and how we can't leave the fate of cinema in the hands of the distributors, in the hands of the business. Oh, wow. I got to read that. Yeah. Dude. You know, it's interesting because everything's called content now, right? So yep. it's like it's like you could go and watch a YouTube video on how to fix your dryer. And then, you know, you got five minutes. So I'm going to check out Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> you know, and it's like, what? Why are they together? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. But everything's blended. Yeah. And... Cinema is cinema, man. You know, to me, it's like church. And uh, you go and you pay your respects. You go into the building, you know, in the, in the theater. You watch. You don't pull out your phone. I remember watching Eyes Wide Shut, and this guy was on his phone. And it was the scene when, like, Tom Cruise is confessing to Nicole Kidman, both of them. And, you know, it's really quiet. And it's like, dude, this is Kubrick, man. Like, get off the phone, man. And everybody <laughs> just ushered him out of the theater. But, uh, well, dude, yeah. the, the danger, okay, so we're two older dudes. So the danger yeah. of saying it that way is that a lot of the younger listeners, and I hear you guys doing it at home, you guys are <laughs> rolling your eyes and they're going, there's two old guys that are talking about it. <laughs> let me let me rephrase it. Let me put yeah. it this way. You have yeah. been lied to. You have mm -hmm. been lied to with by people that are creating uh, hardware. Okay, so you have either people that are building televisions or people that are building phones. And these people have lied to you and said that you're going to have the same experience on your phone that you will have in the movie theater. That's a fucking lie. A hundred percent lie. And here's yep. why. 
The sound is different. Sound on your, how many of you at home have a real surround sound system hooked up to your TV? And how many of you just listen to the shitty speakers that come on the back of that television set? I, yep. I can imagine the amount of time you spent in the mix making your movie sound the way you did, correct? Oh, yeah. Let me, let me tell you, my friend, uh, Paul N.J. Otteson, really good friend of mine, he won uh, three Academy Awards mm. um, uh, for Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. Hell yeah. Uh, he's worked for Catherine Bigelow, Sam Raimi. He's worked with uh, Barry, Levins, uh, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld. Um, anyways, he did Drag Me to Hell. He did Raimi's Spider-Man's. Uh, he's a great friend of mine and, and he did the sound design and mix for me, um, you know, as a favor, but also he really liked the movie and, uh, it was just great working with him. And, awesome. uh, and I knew, I knew we had to have a good sound, you know, mix design on this movie because there's nothing worse than when you watch a film and if it's a bad sound, I don't care if it's a beautiful looking, if it looks like Lawrence of Arabia, mm -hmm. but it sounds terrible you know you're going to be out. I'd rather probably have a better movie, a better sound movie than a better picture. Yeah, honestly, yeah. and uh, and something for Willie's. I knew we just needed it. So, uh, God bless Paul. I mean, he was amazing, and he did such a great job on this movie. Well, dude, and the 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 labor of love. The fact that you got that individual, the fact that you went through the process of making this sound as good as you do, and then that somebody's going to be watching it and cupping their hand over the end of the phone to try to make it sound louder. It's, it's, oh. a, it's a fucking lie, man. And, I know, man. And if you, I know. when you go and you watch a good movie in the cinema, right? If you go and watch a film that is exciting with your friends, right? You don't care that someone is eating popcorn behind you. You don't care about any of that stuff. You're transfixed. Yeah. And the best part is that it takes you out of your world. The fact that you're at home and you could push pause to go and check your email or you could push pause to go get more food, the idea that you don't have control over it is the most important part of, of yeah. enjoying a film, yeah. you know? I agree. It's like reading a script, you know, you... You sit down and you read a script. I want to read it all from page one to the end. Yep. I don't want to read it, put it down, you know, go back. Okay, yeah, I'm on page 15 or page 50. Then, you know, the script, you know what I mean? Same thing. With, I, I'm that way with books. When I start a book, it's like I have a mission to complete the book. I just finished uh, Oliver Stone's book. It's oh, really wow. in incredible. Cool. It's an incredible book. And, uh, I was just like, I'm going to finish this book. So I take it everywhere with me and I read it and I, and I, you know, and it's like same thing with a, you know, a movie. It's like, I just want to watch a movie from beginning to end. That's why TV shows, man, I mean, I, there's some amazing TV shows. My, my son actually is watching Breaking Bad, uh, Breaking Bad now, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, th there's some amazing TV shows, but man, I feel also that they're creating so many TV shows and they're making, they're stretching them out yes. to be, you know, 13 episodes when they should only be eight. Yeah. You know, if you do eight episodes, but no, they want a 13 episode commitment, you know, and it's like uh, the story doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. And so they put filler in, you know, for it. And uh, so I, I, again, I love, I love, I love those again, amazing TV shows, but um, you know, I just, I love the movies. I love a great story that's told hour and 40 minutes, two hours, you know. Um, 
Well, dude, Nothing replaces the movies. Yeah. And at the end of the day, whether it's a TV show or a movie for me, I want the creators to be fueling me, the audience, not fueling yeah. the delivery system, not stretching yeah. these things out because we need to keep subscribers on our channel. I want them fueling us, the experience. You know, you look like Chernobyl. I don't know if you saw HBO Chernobyl. I hear that's incredible. It's incredible because they're not doing that. And this is what I, it was really great about HBO is HBO is like, we don't care about that. Like, just make a good piece. Yeah. And yeah. it's perfectly timed. It's the perfect length for a mini series. And if that was on any other streamer, it would have been like, can we add like nine more episodes and drag this thing out? What if we go into the detail of the little girl that's standing on the bridge? And you're like, why? Yeah, yeah why? that's what they do, right? So they're like, the little girl standing on the bridge. And then they flash back to her and she's being born, Yeah, you know, and I don't know. I just feel like you got to know when to fold a man on some right. things, you know, right. I don't know. But yeah, it's just some of those shows that and I know lost. That was the big trick. You know, we lost, yeah. you know, they'd be on the plane and, you know, you flash back. That was like the really, you know, kind of hook that they would do. But I just think it's been overused. And, yeah. and now these shows are getting, you know, 13 episode commitments and, and they don't need it, and they just but they got to fill that you know gap. That's why Willie's is eighty nine minutes, you know. And I just wanted to make a shot of adrenaline, like the like the punch pop in the movie, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, just you know uh, a good time. And you could watch it, and if you dig it, you can watch it again. Well, and you, I just want to say out loud again: we're not trash talking any of these delivery systems. We're just examining. No. no. You're just no. examining what the what why they're great and why they're not, yeah. and and that's that's yeah. really it. And it, it's funny, you know, in this day and age, you know, Mike, it's like you're just afraid to say your opinion, right? Because all of a sudden it's just going to be uh, the, the cancel culture coming out, you know, burn them at the stake, you know. Well, dude, yeah, that's lot, not it. But also, a lot of that has to do with me, right? So me being the guy yeah. creating this content, if I was so concerned yeah. about the delivery systems. And I was f yeah. fueling the beast, then that would be my headline. My headline would be clickbait, mm. just so I can fuel the beast. I don't give a fuck about the beast, so we're not going to do yeah. that on this show. So, like, it's great. It, but, it, it, but it's, I, th I, th I just think that it's smart that you brought that up, and it's smart that we're talking about this because that's what the show's about. It's talking about the actual behind the scenes on how this shit is really fucking made and how this stuff is actually happening, and. There's a ton of great content out there. I can rattle off amazing shows on Netflix, amazing shows on Amazon, amazing on mm -hmm. all those things. The fight right now is that everybody's saying that that is the only way to get your content, which is wrong. It's a lie. Mm -hmm. It's a total fucking yeah. lie. And if cinema dies, we're going to lose the big portion of why, as a filmmaker, I make movies, and I know as a filmmaker, you make movies. It's for the yeah. audience. It's for the people That's that right. are watching it, you know? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, that was quite a rant. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I had fun though. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, look, I'm, I, I think we're sort of coming around here. Let me just double check my questions here and see if I had anything sure. that we missed. But um, you, you, dude, because you've hit all my points. I was going to ask you about your prep. So you did... So you had 70 pages of, uh, of uh, shot list, which is fucking great. Uh, I'm a huge prep guy too. And it makes sense because you said you took a, a Hitchcock class. <laughs> like, yeah. like where does, how does your prep start for you? Like you get a script, you read the script, you fall in love with that script. And then they're like, okay, start prep. Where does it start for okay. you? So, you know, you, for me, it's like 
I read the script and I just envision, you know, the, the images, you know, and, 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 and at that point it's like, okay, this is how I want to do it. How, how do I get that? You know, well, you know, I got to use, you know, this, this lens or this shot or whatever. And, and, uh, and so you just go through it, you know, and, uh, and I sometimes just think about it and let it ferment a little bit. Um, and, uh, I knew I was making a movie, like I said, Nick Cage versus the animatronic weasel. So <laughs> I'm going to go for it, man. I'm going to go for the Dutch angles. I'm going to go for, uh, you know, just a, a lot of crazy stuff. And, um, I, I also shot, I shot the movie to cut. So meaning I didn't have a lot, uh, I didn't want to have, well, I couldn't, I didn't, I wouldn't have, didn't have the time, but I didn't want all this footage where you could cut a different movie. Yeah. I made this movie, I cut it in, in, in my brain, basically, you know, I, I knew this is what's going to go here. This is going to go here. Of course, the editing things change. And, you know, I got to say some of the director's cuts too. You know, we got this, this thing about directors. Adam Rifkin told me this and he's so right. This director's cut has gotten such a, uh, a personality now to it where people think it's like it's the ultimate vision, the director's cut. <laughs> and when you're making a movie and it's like you have an assembly cut with the editor, a rough cut, and then you have the director's cut, the director's cut is just an evolution of that assembly cut to the director's cut. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to keep refining it. And maybe, you know, there's times that, you know, you, you, you miss some things or whatever, but th- and you, that's why you take the time to do it. But this idea of like the director's cut and it's the final, your final vision. And, you know, we, we're like, you know, Blade Runner, Ridley Scott, director's cut. That's with his vision. It's been a brand now, right? Mm-hmm. The director's cut. But yeah. for me, when you're making the movie, it's just another phase of the cut, you know, because you're just you're you're just trying to find the movie the good news with me and like i said with willies is i shot the cut so i didn't have a lot of footage to play around with Mm -hmm. so i kind of knew where things were going to go yeah you know um because you you know in 20 days on a movie like this you don't i had like you know you you know your director you know i I had like seven eight pages a day sometimes that's what i was gonna ask you look at the schedule and you're like oh my god i don't want to go to work (laughs) you know you just it's like backbreaking but because I had the shot list, because I had the crew knowing, you know, I, I, I think I said this in another I- I interview, but the idea of like, you can't just show up and go, hey, what are we going to do now, guys? Uh, yeah, let's just put the camera there. That wasn't this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a scene where he puts the pop in the fridge. We had to saw the back of that fridge off. So I had to tell, you know, props days in advance to get that done, you know, and so having that shot list, it just prepped everybody. Yeah. I showed it to Nick. I wanted him to know, like I was prepped and prepared, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's- and I was open, I was open to anybody, you know, him or anyone saying, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, net, cause the pre-production is the time for that, right? Shooting a movie on 20 days is not, Yeah. you really don't have a lot of time, you know? So, um, everybody had to know, you know what they were doing it was a well-oiled machine and like i said the crew you know was so you know loving the movie and loving the work and uh and that was such a great compliment that you said that it shows it's just you know that's great it's true it's true dude 
I think it's I think it's incredibly important. And um, you know, the twenty day we're prepping a, a film that's probably going to be about that. So like that that is kind of like heartbreaking when you're in the early stages of it. it must have been for you where you like at least for me it's like oh this if i had five more days then i could be able to bang my back. oh yeah and so, oh yeah i was like god if i had five more days <laughs> what i could do yeah. you know yeah and, and when you look at this sort of stuff as an audience member um you got to remember that uh a lot of these filmmakers that especially fucking critics a lot of, a lot of these people look at it and they go well, you know, this would have been better. Yeah, don't you think that the filmmaker <laughs> is a seasoned filmmaker and that he knows that if he does this and this and this, but you're dealing, it's like you're you're trying to build a building on icebergs, you know what I mean, that are consistently shifting underneath you constantly and you have to make all these uh, concessions where you're sitting there going like, what's more important? Is it more important for me to perfectly get yeah. through this scene or is it more important yeah. for, me for us to get to the set piece? All right, I got to get to this well, fucking set piece. Well, it's, it's funny, you know, I, one of my movies was at a film festival and, uh, and you know, it got, you know, good uh, people liked it and stuff. But then I overheard uh, a person, you know, and they're telling their friend, and they're like, well, they said, I like Dark Knight better. <laughs> and I was just like, of course you did. That had $200 million and it was Batman, okay? And it was Christopher Nolan. He's awesome. Yeah. But it's like, and you can't run a ticker on the movie going, Hey guys, by the way, in this scene, uh, it, it got cut and I had seven pages and it's like, it is what it is, you yeah, know, no yeah. excuses, yeah. you know, it, it is what it is. And, uh, I, that's why I felt like let's embrace the low budgetness of Willie's let's embrace maybe the, our, our, let's turn our weaknesses into strengths. Yep. And that's why I wanted to make a, a, a B movie and what, that's what it was. You know, it was never some, a-list, you know, Shakespeare in love, you know, no, it, it was a return of the living dead and, you know, uh, e evil dead. These are the movies that inspired me. I love when I was a kid, you know, yep. and, uh, yep. grindhouse, yep. you know? Um, yep. and so I just want to make more of them, you know, and I, hopefully Willie's will be a success and we'll be able to do it. Hell yeah, you man. Know? And your movie, your movie that you're working on will be a success and you'll be able to do more. Well, dude, we got we, we to support each other, man. You know? So there it is, everyone. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. The episode as much as I did. I hope you guys learned a bit more about how movies like this are made, like I did. And I hope you guys are excited. I mean, I'm fucking pumped to see this movie. I cannot wait to see Nicolas Cage fucking doing his thing. I mean, what a cool career that guy has had, right? He went from being the quirky little dude in like uh, David Lynch movies and the Coen Brother films, you know, like Raising Arizona. Fucking love that movie. Uh, and then he became like a fucking action star. <laughs> he was in The Rock. He was in Con Air, right? And then suddenly he became like a dramatic, like a big heavy hitter, dramatic actor that's winning Academy Award, like had Academy Award winning nominations. I don't know if he won for Leaving Las Vegas. That movie was fucking killer. And then he had like this weird transition where he kind of fell off the map for a little bit. There were rumors about a Superman movie that was supposed to be made. He was going to play Superman, which is strange, right? And then he comes back and he's in like 
some like weird Hong Kong action movies, right? What was it? Bangkok Dangerous? Was that one of his movies that he was in? And then all of a sudden he's a cult crazy man, which I love between Mandy, between Color From Outer Space and today's movie, Willy's Wonderland. So I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm going to go watch this tonight. Hope you guys check it out. Um, and thank you everybody for listening. And I just want to take a moment here. I've got some time um, to sort of contribute to what I think is very important right now in movie making, in the way we process movies and how we watch films. Um, and you're, I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's a great article and I posted about it in my stories. I, I'll make sure that I post it by thread so it's still there when this episode comes out. Um, but Martin Scorsese did a fantastic article um, for Harper's. It's, I think it's a New York magazine um, on Federico Fellini and the lost magic of cinema. It's really fantastic. Now, I'm sure you're like, yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, how did you hear about it? Did you see some like quick little blurb written about it on some indie thing? Because I know we all have a short attention spans and you just read the fucking line where it's like, Martin Scorsese doesn't like screaming services. And you're like, okay, cool. I've got everything from that article. Go read the whole article. It's really great. I see it as a great companion to the... Um, the uh, Empire Filmmaking Podcast that I talked about with Tarantino and Edgar Wright. I think it's really fantastic that a lot of these directors that we all look up to as filmmakers, that we all love as moviegoers, are actually standing up and speaking out for cinema. Because cinema's at like a really crazy crossroads right now with movie theater uh, closures, with the trouble, with uh, streaming services sort of taking over, and more than anything else, it's not a trash against streaming services. It's sort of an awakening when we think about algorithms and how algorithms work and the power of having a curated content, curated content that comes from an individual, comes from a human being that actually expresses how strange things, seeing odd things on screen change their perception. That's something that algorithms don't do for you. Most of the time an algorithm is examining Hey, you like this cat video. You really enjoy cheeseburgers. So maybe we should just give you these movies. And if you look at the way that these streaming services are set up, and it always drives me crazy when it goes into the screensaver mode, and at the bottom they just have like those one word descriptions like, you know, uh, uh, comedy, like quirky, you know, and, and you're just like, ugh, you know that that's how it's being organized where you watch enough quirky movies and the next thing you know, your entire thread is just quirky shit with a couple of outliers and a couple movies that they're promoting pretty fucking hard. And do you notice you just get bored? And you're like, man, it's not that good. Movies just aren't that good, right? That's what you start to say. That's what I was saying for a while because I'm like, man, this is all the stuff because I was so deep in it. And then I broke away and I started to get back into the classics. I went to that list that they talked about on Empire. It's a fantastic list. And you guys have seen me posting the movies that I've seen from that list. Uh, I love the films that I've seen. And these are older movies that I wouldn't have seen if they weren't curated for me by someone that I respect. Right? And how does that change the perception? It does. It totally does. Right? If your best friend comes into a space and goes, 
I just got this album. You got to hear it. You're going to fucking listen to it. And it could be the same album that was suggested to you randomly on Spotify that you didn't even register. I don't know how many times I've showed albums to my friends and they go, I think I heard this on Spotify, but I didn't know what it was. And now they like it because there's an emotional connection to it. It's important. It really is with art. Having that human connect is still very important with this stuff. Because you bet your ass if we had algorithms at the time, you wouldn't have had Fellini. You probably wouldn't have had Kubrick. You probably wouldn't have had any of the classics that exist. Because the algorithms would have been like, you like Westerns. Let's bring them more Westerns. You know what I mean? That movie about Cleopatra who was hot. So let's do more of those. Those movies ended up tanking Hollywood. And they were trying to feed the audience with what they thought the audience needed, what they thought the audience loved. It ended up tanking Hollywood. And Hollywood desperately turned to the film schools, turned to USC, turned to the youth, and they gambled on it. They ran a, a simple little gamble that created who? Created what? Coppola. Created George Lucas. Created Martin Scorsese. Right? Changed the way any of that stuff's done. If they were running the algorithms at that time, those filmmakers, those people that everything is based on now wouldn't have wouldn't have existed so definitely go read this article and think about it and i know you're like mike i watch movies and i'm supposed to not think about things when i watch movies and i like to just turn my tv on and find them there i'm gonna tell you this certain pieces of content shouldn't be combined together i don't want to be watching fucking cat videos and then watching a scorsese film you know what i mean I don't want to be watching some bullshit fucking reality TV show trailer first and then moving my way over to Goodfellas. It just doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't be judging those two things together. They shouldn't be on the same queue. Anyway, if you don't believe me, listen to the greats. Go read that article by Martin Scorsese. It's fantastic. Look it up online. Find the full article and check it out. All right, that is it. So if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know what time it is. It is time once again to uh, answer one of those phone calls from my good buddy Alex Johnson on our segment that we like to call, Have You Seen Anything Good Lately? Alex, hey buddy, how are you? I'm doing real good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Sorry, man. that was my that was my fake New England guy reply. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. What's going <laughs> <Wait>. on? <laughs> <laughs> like sitting next, there's like a pile of like fireball nips in my passenger seat of my car. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fine. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss I miss you, buddy. I miss being uh miss being on the East Coast, especially right about now. I, I, like uh it's good to hear you. It's good you're to hear your voice. The, you're missing the East Coast? Every once in a while, you know. Like, you know, there's yeah. a, a little it's bit nice of nice out here today. It's um <laughs> I think it's like it's it's got to be pushing 40 degrees Fahrenheit and cloudy <laughs> and rainy. <laughs> Which I that I know that's I I understand that sounds like I'm being sarcastic, um, but I'm I'm not. That's just how shitty life is <laughs> in 
the coldest, like the wet, the wetty, the wet coldiest part of the country. <laughs> the wetty, the wetty part of the country. Yeah. I mean, not uh, the wettiest contiguous part of the country. I'm not. I I got nothing. I've been to Alaska. <laughs> it's pretty wet there. Pretty wet and cold. It's wetty and cold there too. Uh-huh. Real wetty spaghetti up there. Um, uh-huh. All right. Well, I figure that the reason you're calling me is that you've probably seen something good. What have you seen lately? No, I just want to say hi. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I get. No, I did. I. You got me. I saw a movie. Okay. What did uh, you see? Okay. <laughs> you want to know which one it was? Yeah, I would. I, that would be cool. <laughs> all right. I'm just trying to build suspense. People, people like that. Uh, speaking of suspense, uh, this was a suspense film uh, on HBO. They call mm-hmm. HBO Max now. HBO Go is dead. Mm-hmm. HBO Max. Anyway, HBO. Uh, called The Little Things, um, mm-hmm. it, which stars, and I, holy shit, I know the names of the actors for this one. Um, <laughs> uh, it's got uh, Denzel Washington. Uh-huh. It's got, uh, it's got Rami Malek. Uh-huh. And uh, it's got uh, Jared Leto, um, who is also in a band. <laughs> But I won't. Talk, I won't get into that. So, um, <laughs> I liked it, and I, I I noticed that. Well, hold on. I, I liked. I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I liked it less when it was over. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying I don't mean that. Like I loved it so much that when it was over, I was pissed off that there wasn't more of it. I just meant like the ending. It, um, <laughs> okay, here's, so here's the premise. If you haven't already read a million articles about it, because for some reason I don't know, it's all over my, all over my feed. Uh, it's a, apparently the script was actually written in '93, and it kind of has, it, it's got that vibe to it. It's got kind of like a '90s David Fincher, mm-hmm. like murder detective thing going on. Did, did you see it? Have you seen this one? <laughs> yes, I just I just watched it last night actually. So yes, I did. Did you really? Yeah, no, it did. Totally. It's fresh in my fucking brain. And when you say 90s vibe, you mean like it's a period piece. You mean like all the cars. Well, the 90s <laughs> and shit. Yeah, it's got this vibe where it takes place in the 90s. <laughs> Doesn't it take place like in 1990? Isn't that what like the, the, the card says? Like yes, the they have fucking landlines and shit. Yes, yes, it's a, a 90s period. No, thing. I did. I obviously it was in the 90s, but I think it was specifically the year 1990. Okay, like, okay, you know, okay. The first, the first, the first of the 90s. Um, yeah, but like, all right, it was cool. I, I, but it was cool in like a tropey way. Mm-hmm. But it just, I like all the tropes. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I cut it some slack because it those tropes were probably less tropey in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, like and when they pulled when they pulled this film out of the vault that was never released, they were just like, "Oh yeah, well you don't need to edit these out because these are these were tropey in the 90s," as opposed to like him like getting the green light on the script two years ago and going, ah, maybe I yeah. should, maybe I should fix that. <laughs> no, I'm like a cool teacher who grades on a curve. Like I understand, you know, I, I, I'm willing to write that off. That's fine. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> I, as a writer, I understand there's nothing worse than having to like, proofread your own stuff edit your own stuff or like when someone's like hey can you rewrite this it's like Ugh. <laughs> it's the worst man it's like i already did that i'm done with that um also maybe the, i don't know i don't know who the screenwriter is maybe he's dead i mean i i know that's usually when fresh eyes are called in but um 
uh, I think that's what they call it, right? Fresh eyes. Uh, that's the nice way of saying you don't have any more good ideas. So we're going to find someone with other ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I dug it. I, I, um, I, I'm always a little annoyed that like Jared Leto sometimes I think does an okay job. And I <laughs> like, he's in stuff I like sometimes, but he's in a lot of stuff. I really don't like, <laughs> like namely like his life and his band and like the stuff he does <laughs> like in, as Jared Leto. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, he was real creepy. He's a creepy, he's creepy as hell. And there's a little, he, he plays the suspect, I guess I would say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's, um, I guess it's kind of like a night stalker ish, like a dude who, you know, this serial killer is a man who kills women. <laughs> Weird. I don't know that, which she's talking about nineties tropes, right? <laughs> I think that also real world tropes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone should tell like real life serial killers, like guys, come on, get it. How about a fresh MO? <laughs> exactly. How about one that kills men <laughs> exclusively? Or like, I don't know. It's just, it's always women with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> but and this guy's no different. Um, and, uh, it, but there was a lot, you know, it was, it's definitely like post, I felt like, and I'm sure True Detective Season 1, I love True Detective Season 1. I'm sure that was derivative as, as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was derivative of, of, of that too, and, and I like that. <laughs> I like I like 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 drone shots over like creepy landscapes with like a low note playing, and you're like, that's evil shit happens in this greater air, this you know this metro region. You can see it. I know, I know. I literally had drone shots planned in the thing I was doing, and then I went, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm pulling it out. Yeah, yeah I mean it. It works well, but it just is not original anymore. I don't know, but I, like, what what would do better than that? You, I mean, you're a director, like I, uh, I would say spot, literally like, anything. <laughs> I would say anything else. Anything else would do better than that. Well, for like, a, I guess establishing shots. I'm thinking. I don't know. I'm, I don't think in terms of you know movie shots. So that's fine. That's fine. It's not... I can see them. <laughs> I can see them on the screen. <laughs> But I don't come up with like alter- alternates in my head. Yeah, right. Okay, that's that's good. That's good. That means you're that means you're innocent. That's good. I mean, I'm just watching the movie. Yeah, that's good. I'd rather have you doing that when you watch my film than be sitting yeah. there going, you know, what would have been better for this shot is yeah. a two shot instead of a second. Oh fuck! You know what I just thought of? Same exact thing, but like flip it upside down. <laughs> and you say it out loud. I saw, I, I saw that in a movie once. It was it was like wow. Like it literally subverted my expectations. It flipped them. It flipped my expectations <laughs> vertically along along the horizontal axis. <laughs> and just I was like, oh wow, something's off. Whenever the scene is upside down, I know that I have been transported to a world where up is down. <laughs> and I guess left isn't right. It's still that's still the same, but. <laughs> It's something's off, you know, like something's going on. Yeah, you can't you can't completely flip it because the audience needs to identify with something. Yet they need something to hold on to. So left being right, it's still it's like okay. Then there's there's a there's gravity here for me. <laughs> if you flip it all the way yeah. around, I'm lost. I'm yeah. out. It's like what was it, George Miller, uh, Mad Max? Like you got you know Charlie's center frame. You, you got to keep 
Yes. You can't disorient. There's like there's good disorientation, like taking um, an exterior establishing like flyover shot and flipping it, as I just said. <laughs> and then there's bad, which really disorients people. And they don't know what's going on, like a Paul Greengrass fight scene or something. Um, <laughs> which you know why they do that, right? I mean, you probably know why they do that. It's because actors don't know how to fight really well. Yes. <laughs> so it's just like, ah, just make it confusing. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually why um, Michael Bay did that with the Transformers movies, because the robot actors didn't know how to fight either. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which actually brings me back to this movie, The Little Things. It was, it was a lot of uh, very, it was... I felt like I had seen it before, and so it was like comfort food. Mm-hmm. If 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 um, you know gritty dark crime procedurals are comfortable for you, <laughs> if you which they are for me for some reason, <laughs> and I think a lot of people, uh, which you know, I don't, I don't I don't know what the psychology is there. It's, um, it's very true. It's like uh, how many fucking serial killer docs do we need on Netflix? It's it's called serial killer porn at this point. So yes, yeah. Uh, and I'm, are you into the docs? Do you watch the documentaries or? I'm more into like the, I, I need like a real narrative and like, I need, I need to suspend disbelief. I need to be in like a, a different world. I, I, I don't know. I tried to watch Night Stalker. <laughs> I, got, I got bored because they start, it's like, here's, a, here's like 40 minutes of like pictures of the detective um, at like a birthday party before anything bad happened. <laughs> It's like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> I don't care, man. <laughs> Get to the part where the guy kills people, and then the guy has to stop him. <laughs> I don't need to know, like, you know, what was the year like before this? Like, you know, my daughter just had her quinceanera, and um, like, I don't know. I feel like it's boring. I don't, I don't care about people's lives unless I'm given like a, a. So what's weird about it? I feel like that's a studio now where you would walk into the studio and go, "I got this great." series on like a serial killer and i just want to get into the meat of it and they go yeah 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 but what do you think happened a year earlier at his daughter's fucking birthday party yeah. that's what yeah. we'd like to see and, and not the killer's daughter just one of the cops <laughs> <laughs> someone who isn't like weird and fucked up and the reason we're watching this <laughs> you know i don't know i i'm not trying to be a dickhead I, i've heard it's great and i probably just won't rewatch it but i'm like rarely just in the right mood yeah. For um, for a for a you know a docu series especially because mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a sink. I tr- the last one I tried to watch was that Nexium one on HBO, and I just I think I got to like the penultimate like episode or, or you know third to last, and then I was like, oh, I don't, I don't care about this anymore. <laughs> I just wanted to know what they were doing in there, and I don't really care about if the guy got caught. <laughs> like I, I hope he did. I know he did. Like I got that from Wikipedia. I don't need to see it. Like right. <laughs> I just want to know what were they up to over there? Like, what's the fucked up shit? What yeah, do they do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think they kind of whitewashed that aspect of it too. So it just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and I don't like to see. I don't, I don't like seeing people get hurt and stuff like that. But you know, <laughs> I need to be entertained. That's all. <laughs> so uh, the little so the little things entertained you is what you're saying. Yeah, I was entertained. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip spoilers on this one. I'm not going to talk about the ending just because I think um, it's more likely people might see it because there's, there's really not a lot of great new movies coming out all the time. And this is one of those like same day as theaters 
Wow. So, you kind of like this yeah. movie. That's For you to say that, that means that you're like, yeah, maybe people should experience this because I enjoyed it. Well, no, here's what I'm saying. I, I, I was not – I ultimately was not wowed. But I had a nice, I had, I had a nice time watching it. It was just a nice film to watch, and <laughs> like the actors are good. It like it's fun to watch Denzel Washington and Rami Malek have dialogue, and it's fun to. My favorite part. There's one part, and it's not really a spoiler, but at one point Denzel Washington tells a murder suspect after showing him pictures of corpses, he braces him against a wall and tells him his. Bullshit! Your dick's harder than Chinese calculus, <laughs> <laughs> or Chinese arithmetic, or something. And I was like, "That was in the original 90, 93 draft, I bet." Yeah, oh yeah, that was the line that spawned the whole movie. <laughs> that was the start. But was it was, start. it was like I loved everything about that part because it's like, it's a, like a pretty good joke, and also like the fact that that they showed this guy all these pictures to see if he'd get a boner. <laughs> That's like police procedure at that point. It's like, do we have anything? No, let's go see if he gets hard when we show him some fucking dead people. Did you know that was a much bigger, uh, much more widely used police tactic for homicide detectives in the early 90s? Do you know know why? Why? Because people tuck their shirts in and wore khakis. (laughs) So you could see if they had boners. You can't tell anymore. I remember that from, uh, I don't know if kids today have the same problem, but, uh, being in like middle school in the early nineties, um, really hard to hide bone, your like first boners because <laughs> you're all wearing like tucked in like gap, like khakis. It sounds like, sounds like you <laughs> just, there's nothing to hide. you like, you have to hold a buck in front of you or something. I, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's why, that's why they don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, dude, uh, look, I just saw I saw it last night too, and yeah. I completely agree with you. I, I felt like yeah. when I watched it, um, look, there's a, there's a couple things that were ringing in the back of my head. Right, the first one that's yeah. in the back of my head was that originally Denzel Washington was asked to play the part of Brad Pitt in Seven. And he turned that down. He turned that down because he, this is a, a, allegedly turned that down based upon what I've read, that uh, he thought that Seven was too dark of a movie and he didn't want to be in it. And supposedly he's regretted it since. And so it makes a lot of sense that this movie comes out with him in the lead. It totally does. Uh, right. And it, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of, in the '90s, that's kind of the stuff Denzel was doing. I will, I will agree that Seven was probably the darkest of the. It was like actually probably a little darker than a lot of the stuff I saw him in from that period. But like, I remember he was playing a lot of homicide detect, obsessive homicide detectives trying to. Yeah, I mean my know, my like, like, my favorite was, what was fa- the one with uh, Azazel. You remember that one? Yeah, the, the one with the demon. Yeah, Fallen. That's what, exactly what I was just gonna say. Yeah. That oh, one. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's great. John Goodman. Yeah, that was good. It, but I'll I'll say this: it's definitely more like um, it's a little cheekier. It's yeah. like uh, yeah. like because it's got a demon, he's kind of a trickster. So it's like a little more. 
Yeah. It's not as dark as finding Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box. Um, <laughs> you know, like, oh, John Goodman got shot. That's a shame. But, you know, <laughs> no one cut his head off. Not even a demon. Like, Kev- Kevin Spacey's, like, nameless serial killer was scarier than any demon. Yeah. yeah. But, but um, saying that, that was my issue with this, where I agreed with you in the beginning. I was like, okay, a lot of this stuff is kind of tropey, but... I'll watch Denzel Washington chew up a scene. I think he's great. Like this movie could have been about a retired guy that opens up a fucking hamburger stand, and Denzel Washington yeah. would have made it into an Academy Award-winning performance. Like, yeah. uh, like I can do that. But then, as you progress, without spoiling anything, as you progress to the end of the movie, and Jared Leto's like, "Come with me," yeah. I, I think I would have rather have preferred him to drive him to Amoeba Records and walk over and pick up a 30 seconds to Marcy and go, this is me. That would have been, that would have been a better ending for that movie. Yeah. That's uh, like, well, we got everything we need. Book him. Unless he pulls out that CD. That's, yeah. We'll figure it out at the station what kind of crime this is. But. Okay. Isn't he like a cult leader? Isn't he have like his own cult, or was that Kanye? Or I think it's both of them. I think that's I, 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 from what I understand, and this is all bullshit hearsay internet stuff. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah supposedly, allegedly, yeah, <laughs> allegedly. That's my favorite word that everybody uses these days. Allegedly, and then after yeah. they say that word, they're going to say something incriminating about somebody. Allegedly, <laughs> he did this. It's like fuck. Okay. Well, I don't think actually, though, in America, I don't think you have to say allegedly ahead of cult leader because. I don't think there's anything illegal about being a cult leader. <laughs> I think it's like totally encouraged here. <laughs> like, yeah, if you, as long as does it make money? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> as long as it makes money. <laughs> yeah. I know. Every every time I go into the Apple store, I just look around going, where the fuck? Where's the burning people? You know? Yeah. Look around like all these computers are dressed the same. <laughs> all these computers have white outfits on. <laughs> They're ready to get dunked in a river. Uh. Uh. <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked it too. I yeah, I was. Um, I mean, I think I feel like I'm betraying my kind of like middling standards here. Like, like I, I often will like something that I know isn't great. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let me correct you. I didn't like uh. it. I didn't like it. I like I, oh. I I get why you liked it. I get the yeah, yeah. the the comfort in there, but uh, I did not like it. I was just like, fuck, man. And it was yeah. ki- it was kind of depressing to an extent because I felt like I felt like the tropes have been so troped at this point. Like we, everybody, if, if, if you were born post 1970, everybody has seen police procedurals a million times on television, on commercials to the point where the average American citizen thinks that what real police work is what they see in the movies. It's like, so to, to tackle that world, and I think that's why when you said uh, uh, True Detective, True Detective season one was fucking fantastic. And, yeah, I love it, it. And somehow they figured out how to take all those tropes and make them incredibly uh, atmospheric and really fucking awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you wanted this from this movie. Like, I wanted it. And maybe it's because we're in a drought. Maybe it's because we're starving yeah. for that kind of shit, you know? I don't know. No, I, I totally think so. Um I, I would not like. First of all, the, the fact that I can watch it at home is giving it a lot of points. If I, I would not have gone in my car, and I'm not talking about like pandemic stuff, like pre-pandemic, <laughs> I wouldn't have gone to the theater to see this. Yeah. And yeah. if I did, I would have been like kind of pissed. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
but you know, I'm watching like movies on Shutter. <laughs> like, I'm excited when a movie doesn't look like a film festival entry from like grad school students. You know, <laughs> like if it's like competently filmed, it, and I when I, by competent I mean like they know how to use the, the cameras and stuff, um, uh-huh. and like you know the actors are good and they I thought they did a pretty good job in it. I will say Jared Leto's character was like. It, I mean, he's dude, that dude's always kind of over the top. He's not a subtle dude, but uh, it was like you're the creepiest guy in the world. You should maybe a little less. I don't know. Like it's too. It was a little black and white, like just fresh out of the '80s. Like, yeah, like killers look like creepy undertakers all the time, and they talk really <laughs> weird, and they're very smart. I'm not sure. Like, like, can you imagine the director's notes where it's like, Jared, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. How about? How about you give him a limp? <laughs> yeah, give him a limp, a punch that doesn't fit the rest of him, because Jared Leno is like a skinny as hell. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't you can't just throw a punch on and then, but then there's nothing on the face, nothing on the arms. Um, long greasy hair, like black boots, which apparently was part of the you know it's part of the plot, I guess, because the suspect had boots. Um, and he's just wearing like a like a workman's outfit, like a, like a works at a garage or something. I don't know. It was just like, it was just, it was very tropey. I, I don't know. I, I don't want people to come away thinking I like the movie, <laughs> but I was like, I wasn't bored when I was watching it. That's all I can really say. I wasn't bored. And then at the end I was like, eh, <laughs> the ending, I didn't like the ending. Um, it didn't blow my mind. It was there. There is like a twisty kind of thing, sort of, but it just wasn't didn't do anything for me. Well, um, I, I agree with you. I think my advice to folks would be the movie's like, what, two hours and change? I forget how long it is. Yeah, probably. Two, two hours and seven minutes is what it says. I would watch it for about an hour and 40 minutes and then pretend like the real broke for the for the last half and then imagine how great yeah. the last half is. That's what I would do. Because the, the beginning is, in, I, I got lost. And I'm happy that exists because it's so hard to find movies these days that I'm completely immersed in. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, like the, I like these fucking actors. I like what they're doing. So there was... A lot of good stuff in it. Just lose the last reel. Lose the last 15 minutes of that movie. Yeah. And you're good. I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm feeling a lot of that with movies we've talked about lately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not all of them. Yeah. But some. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if it's because, do you think it's because of streaming? Or, or like, are, the, are there fewer restrictions now on run times? Because, well, I mean, I mean look, if you want my true, if you want my true non joke uh, <laughs> answer to that, I mean, we're dealing with it right now as we're planning a movie. The, the problem that I have with third acts in most movies today, especially in the horror genre, is that there isn't enough money. And not like this movie didn't have enough money, but right. most movies don't. And so you're, you have a certain budget and you have to spend all that cash essentially in all the trailer meat. You have to set, spend it on all those scenes that are going to end up in the trailer that put asses in the seats. But you never right. have enough money to sort of pull off or deliver at the back end. Um, but then that maybe my argument's fucked on that because then you're looking at Netflix and a lot of these filmmakers that have all the money and no control in the world and they're still having uh, trouble with their third act. Like the third act is the hardest yeah. fucking thing to do, you know, because the best part of a movie is the first and second act because you're just like you're learning everything, you're looking around, it's a whole exciting world. And then it's like, okay, so what happens at the end? Is there a big fucking spider? You know what I mean? Like, Are you talking about that, that Jake Gyllenhaal movie? Yeah, oh, I like that movie. <laughs> yeah, but what was up with that? Sp- 
God damn it. What was up with that spider? Though? <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll let you, uh, what is that? Another order for a cab? <laughs> like, what are you working at? A dispatch office? I, 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 I pulled the batteries out. No one calls me on that line. It's for someone else. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I mean, I like that movie too, but I was like, well, what? <laughs> like it, yeah. I realized at the very end of it that, oh, this is like a total art house movie. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not like a literal, it's not like a literal narrative. It's like a, I don't know what it wants me to feel though. Like, I, you want me to feel scared? Because I'm scared of spiders. So, <laughs> I guess I'm scared. It was supposed to be scary at the end. That's what that movie was. <laughs> We're talking about Enemy, by the way, which was yes. uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, film that he did after Prisoners. So he did Prisoners, Enemy, yeah. and then did uh, Arrival. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, well, cool, man. I'm happy that uh, that you and I uh, kind of agree on this one. It's not a bad. Not yeah, a bad I, I, I mean, I think we agree on a lot of uh, movies, but um, yeah, no, no. I I don't know what my opinion is half the time. That's why it makes it complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm of many minds, many competing minds on everything. Well, every every movie I watch, except for ones I really hate. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe I'll have one of those next time. We'll see. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you calling as always, Alex. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Hey, no problem, dude. Have a nice, uh, have a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Bye. <laughs>